0: Welcome, witches and ghouls. We are pleased to say that we are now a part of the Morbidly Beautiful podcast
1: network and family. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials, and more.
0: Morbidly Beautiful supports everyone in the horror
1: community from special effects
0: artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks, and so much more. We are so happy to be part of this spooky team. Please go to morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more. And now, on with the show.
1: Welcome to I Spin On Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In
0: this episode, Jess and I are pitting an original against its remake. We'll be looking at some homegrown Canadian horror with both David Cronenberg's 1977 Rabid and the Twisted Twins themselves, Jen and Sylvia Soska's 2019 modernized version. How will they compare? Which one will come up on top? Let's find out. So pick your poison and listen on if you dare.
2: People are dying, and only Rose knows why. You gotta come quick. You gotta come quick and get me. It's Rose. It's gotta be. Something's happened to Rose. Of health, official... hey. <laughs> health officials have they consider the outbreak of the new strain of rabies as being potentially the worst of this century. <laughs> Don't scream! Don't panic! He's dead, and the dead can't hurt the living, rabbit.
1: The prime minister was reluctant to officially declare a state of emergency, but as any citizen in the streets can tell you, martial law has come to Montreal. Over that, uh, Get that flag. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, sir. Don't, I don't have it
2: a shooting down the victims is as good a way of handling them as, as we have got stop or i shoot you can't trust your mother your best friend the neighbor next door One minute, they're perfectly normal. The next, rabid. Pray it doesn't happen to you. Rabid.
1: kelly we are finally doing cronenberg i'm very excited (laughs) for this i've been looking forward to talking about cronenberg for a long time and since watching both films and trying not to chat kelly's ear off about the remake (laughs) it has i'm excited to do this how about you
0: Well, I know for sure each time we've planned out the six months, it's like Cronenberg. And then for whatever reason, he gets pushed aside for another six months and then we talk about it again and then he gets he gets pushed aside. I was excited, too, because he is somebody that I've always been really intrigued by, but haven't. Well, now I have. But prior to this month, I hadn't really seen much of his work whatsoever, I had seen some of his newer films, which I didn't even realize at the time watching them, like mm. Eastern Promises and A yeah. History of Violence were Cronenberg films. Yeah, I was surprised um, too. <laughs> it just, well, I've also haven't seen those since they came out many years ago. Um, the Fly, The Fly was always a, a big, a huge movie for me because I, I own it. I love it. I've seen it many times and that for sure it was always like Cronenberg to me. Nothing else because there were so many other things in his early works specifically that I hadn't seen. So I was excited. The man intrigues me. His work intrigues me.
1: I've been intrigued by David Cronenberg for a while. I, I wrote about him in my, my in my monthly pick this month and talked a bit about my experience around him and how I came to discover his work which was through the Faculty of Horror episode Mm. where they talked Mm -hmm. about his first film Shivers and just their conversation about it I was so fascinated and I was so intrigued and then I got that book Terror of the Soul which is all about Canadian horror and they have some really good chapters about him and yeah I just And it's funny enough, like, yeah, I saw, I've seen history, no, I haven't seen History of Violence, I saw Eastern Promises, and I haven't seen a lot of his other films other than The Fly, but then when I got really fascinated by the conversation around him, I went and I sought out watching more of his films, and it has been definitely also a great month being able to return to some more of those films that I really like, because I've seen a lot of his older films, so that's what I was looking for. I'm really interested in Cronenberg and his horror years, because he, as Mm -hmm. we are going to get into, he has some really interesting themes in his films.
0: Mhm. I guess it's worth uh just briefly uh talking about the Soska twins. Yes, um, for sure, are, uh, of course. a very well-known uh, you know, duo, uh our Twisted Twins themselves mm-hmm. and For me, s- sadly, I've only seen American Mary and now Rabbit. I guess yes, now Rabbit. Uh but prior to this is American Mary though. I am in love with American Mary and the more I watch it, the more I love it, but I haven't seen anything else they've done. I really want to see dead hooker in a trunk. Cause <laughs> I feel here. like here. that would be, it just sounds like it'd be right up my alley. And they've done a couple of like WWE kind of films, but I haven't seen it, nor have I read the comic that they've done. So I'm kind of weak on, on the rest of their filmography as well. And I just wasn't really able to, to find those movies this month to, uh, to catch up. I was kind of focusing more on catching up on Cronenberg. I mean, he is, as we'll talk about, like, the originator of body horror and... I'm just very intrigued by the man himself. I've got some really great uh, quotes to to give you folks. (laughs) He's just like a grim, intriguing individual. And I feel like him and I are cut from the same cloth.
1: And I think we'd have a good uh, conversation. Which is absolutely so fascinating because when I remember reading one of the articles that we read and he talks about how Martin Scorsese was like intimidated to meet him. He's like David Mm -hmm. Cronenberg. And David Cronenberg is like, Martin Scorsese is like, I'm afraid of you. Like I've seen your (laughs) movies. Like they kind of terrify (laughs) me. And he's like, dude, you did Taxi Driver. You should be more scared. I should be more scared of you. I'm like just (laughs) this mild mannered man who just has these really interesting ideas. But you're right to going back to the Soska sisters. I know that they've done a couple shorts in a couple of the um, Mm -hmm. VHS films or Um, uh, ABCs of Death. ABC's A Death, yeah, Yeah. so, and I know they're definitely huge fans of Deadpool, they're obsessed with him, which I think is great, because I also love Deadpool, and yeah, I'm the same way, I've only seen American Mary, now I've seen Rabbit, and I would like to see more as well, I think they're great, you know, figures for women in horror, because they are directors, they are also Canadian, so they're also very proud about that as well, and about their roots, and I think Mm that's, I think it's great, so it's been really interesting watching both uh, the 1977 version of Rabbit and then seeing the 2019 version of Rabbit mm-hmm. and seeing the differences, but also the the homage almost to Cronenberg um, in their film as well, and just seeing where two different uh, ideas are coming out in two different generations and two mm-hmm. different uh, mm-hmm. gazes around mm-hmm. a very similar theme. And that mm-hmm. big theme that we're going to get into is obviously is body horror.
0: Yeah, body horror. So we decided to choose three top themes to compare and contrast between uh, both films. So body horror, which will be the first one we get into, our social and science satire, and then vampirism and sexuality. Why don't you start start us off, Jess?
1: Yeah, so body horror, I'm going to give just, like, a really brief definition, and Kelly was going to go into more detail a bit later, but I want to talk about body horror is what we see in the horror genre as gruesome. It is about twisted transformations and the absolute breakdown of the human body, which is one of our greatest fears, because we fear the unknown, and when unknown shit's happening to our body, that's (laughs) terrifying, like, terrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. What was really interesting is that body horror itself has been around in the horror genre really since the 1950s where we got the original film The Fly and The Blob. And with body mm-hmm. horror, this is like a great opportunity for more practical effects. So we get to see more of this use of practical effects in horror. But then you also get the psychological idea of body horror. And we see that with Rosemary's baby that when she becomes impregnated by Satan and her pregnancy is controlled by the witches and she becomes ill of it. That's another idea of body horror that psychological said that you have hmm. no control of your body no control of your mind or what's happening to you. Then we see films like Eraserhead, The Incredible Melting Man, and then 1977's Rabid, where where things that are happening to our body are a result of some kind of radiation, deformities, or some kind of um, medical experiment that's happened. But really, body horror, as both Kelly and I really know it, really exploded in the 80s, I think. Right, Kelly? How would you feel about that? Like, more of the practical effects ideas of it.
0: Oh, for sure. Most definitely. The 80s was a wild and wacky gross <laughs> <laughs> right you know wild and wacky gross time for and huge huge on the the special effects and m- body melts, and especially The Blob. I love The Blob, and you know, of course, The Fly, those were really disgusting, yep. and they it shows, like, the absolute disintegration of, of our bodies, so yeah, for sure, I would definitely yeah. agree with that.
1: Yeah, like, we also get films like The Thing, we got Scanners, Videodrome, The Fly, Dead Ringers, so we see a lot of Cronenberg stuff really explode in the idea of body horror, but then we also get films like Reanimator is considered body horror. Um, mm-hmm. Has anyone seen The German Phil Society? That mm-hmm. one is extremely Extreme God. body horror. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? But even then, like people have even talked about how Hellraiser itself is considered body horror. Um, mm-hmm. because of the whole idea of sadomasochism and self uh, mutilation, mm-hmm. And, you know, later on, and all this information I'm getting from the Bloody Disgusting, they did a really great article about the mm-hmm. uh, details of the history of body horror. So I'm just kind of like hitting some of these highlights, these points mm-hmm. for you guys, but go check out that article. In the 90s, kind of a wasteland for body horror. And the sunset, we didn't get a lot of it, and if what we did get of it, we got some really gory stuff. So you get Dead Alive, and like Kelly has already mentioned, mm-hmm. body melt. We see more of a Turned a body horror in the 2000s with cabin fever, slither, the human centipede, and okay. once again addressing the idea of scientists and mutations and the evil doctors. But I think what's really interesting that came up in this article and what Kelly and I have actually you know, talking about last month was the whole idea of body horror being part of coming of age and how it looks at the horror of female puberty and the, what our body goes through in these strange transformations. And we see these in films like Teeth, Ginger Snaps, Raw, the new film blew my mind and I think that's really interesting that now body horror has become like this real real thing that women really experience every day in our lives we experience body horror
0: (laughs) (laughs) our bodies are ever-changing and as an almost 37 year old woman I can definitely attest to that things change (laughs) folks things change so there are many as in my research for sure many different definitions of body horror everybody kind of has their own spin on it but you know looking back at that bloody disgusting article body horror is kind of like the reminder that sometimes death is better sometimes dead is better. <laughs> 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 thank Might you so much Yeah, (laughs) Uh, because we're, you know, our victims are kind of trapped inside their own bodies. It's disintegrating. It's mutating to something very unfamiliar, unidentified. What I love about body horror and, you know, about horror, body horror, extreme horror is that it's It hits us on a very visceral level. Mm. It disturbs us because it's gross to look at. It makes us feel very uncomfortable. It can hit us on an emotional level too, because yeah, like you said, there's that fear of the unknown. We're losing ourselves. We're losing who we are as people and as human
1: beings. And that can be absolutely terrifying for us. Yeah, for sure. Right. Like that anxiety of having some kind of like, especially with Cronenberg films that focus on our viral body that's invading and getting Mm -hmm. in and then changing from within. And we have no control over what's happening. And then what I love about also, too, but the this idea of body horror and typically whenever body horror does come up, there's always some sort of breakdown in society. There's always some kind of crisis. Yeah,
0: for sure. If it's not like a certain film I'd say, uh, there's a film called Con- contracted and bite, uh, bite is a, a Canadian film by, uh, the black fawn guys. Okay. Um, they distribute it anyways, but it's more of like an isolated body horror. This is happening to the, these women, but they're pretty much just like secluded and isolating themselves into their apartment. So there's not like a grand, like a pandemic issue, mm. but, um, yeah, a lot of these viral situations because we don't understand it. There's an. This is going to all sound very familiar like. to you folks. Yes. Uh, a novel virus, a mutation, something we don't know about. And as because we don't understand it and what it's necessarily doing to the body, it's replicating, it's moving from person to person. And in these horror films where we're seeing that, you know, we have our our main protagonists and then it's causing the destruction of of the world as well. The person doesn't understand what's happening to them. The world doesn't understand what's happening to them. And everything descends into chaos, like bodily and socially.
1: So what's really interesting is that there's like this term that comes out around body horror, which is also uh, Cronenbergian types Mm. of body horror. And that is typically in reference to David Cronenberg's work, a lot of his early work, where a lot of his films mix a lot about, they mix uh, uh, themes of bodily transformation, disease, Mm -hmm. and mutation with Mm -hmm. twisted sexuality, blood, Mm. and violence. And then you get Cronenbergian horror, and then you get directors who try and follow suit with that type of horror Mm -hmm. as well. But at the end of the day, with Cronenberg's work, but as well as with all types of body horror, the cornerstone of it all is the grotesque. It is grotesque. You're <laughs> usually in some shape or form or some audience or some movie you're watching a body horror, there is something gross about what you're seeing, and mm-hmm. it makes you feel very uncomfortable.
0: Agreed. And going into that, and we read this really great article, and the main thing that I wanted to take from it was another kind of definition or look at another spin on body horror. So the, the article was, Mutations and Metamorphoses. Body horror is biological horror. Mm. So we know that body horror, it's kind of a this horror trope, this film trope that shows graphic violations of the human human body, but it also can be justifiably called biological horror. It's the true biological nature that we can see in, yeah, the mutations, aberrant sex, zombification, hybrids, just like weird experimental stuff, just like crazy things happening to our body. And you kind of touched on this earlier is that usually in body horror, but we'll talk specifically about Cronenberg. Like in his work, the body horror and the things that are happening are not as a result of violence mm-hmm. it's uh, it's due to experimentation of virus something messing with the body in that way that yes. causes the distortion of the body and the loss of like our conscious control over our body and through like disease and un- well, pretty much uncontrolled transformation we don't know what's happening but it's happening
1: so take a film like Rabid which was originally known as Mosquito and it mm. became a top all time grossing film for Canada but what's really interesting is that with Cronenberg, when he touches upon into body horror and this grotesque element of it, he also touches on something that has was has been an untapped vein for the horror community, and that's venereal horror. Mm. So he does so... Uh, both rabbit and definitely shivers for sure if anyone's Mm -hmm. seen shivers that is definitely about venereal horror and the creation of like a satire around it and what is it saying about our society about these elements that are invading our bodies but also cause these primal sexual fears in us as well as a fear of our own body which is so interesting right because we have these fears of these changes in our body and they're usually half the time connected to some kind of sexual fear because at the same time too we're also afraid of sex and we're afraid of the taboo of sex so take you know your body changing in some way, shape, or form horrifically, and then add sex to it, and then you've, of mm-hmm. course you've got this crazy horror film.
0: <laughs> I love that these terms: biological horror, body horror, venereal horror. I'm just like I'm just I'm all into this. <laughs> You're like I <laughs> love it. I love it. It's so gross and weird, and again, it makes people feel very uncomfortable. And I am here for that.
1: Well, I think you would have really like this one quote. That uh, he once told an interview at McLean Magazine. So Cronenberg was interviewed about its horror. And he says that the only real horror was looking into the mirror, realizing that one's own flesh was rotting on the bones, that death was already at work. So imagine, mm-hmm. just, you know, you're looking at yourself right now, and technically you're, you're rotting. You're going to, you know, yep. you're you're dying, you're aging. So morbid. Yep. <laughs> He's so perfectly like
0: just on the nose and grim at the same time. And (laughs) just I just I really, really find this man really quite interesting. Some more Cronenberg quotes, because again, I think this man is amazing. In the article, Dr. Hobbes' Parasites, Victims, Victimization, and Gender, and David Cronenberg shivers, he said, and folks, this is so relevant to what's happening in our world right now. He said, We must not demonize disease if we do not wish, in turn, to excoriate our very flesh as inescapably treacherous and evil. A virus is only doing its job. It's trying to live its life. The fact that it's destroying you is not its fault. It's about trying to understand the relationships among organisms, even those we perceive as diseases to understand it from the disease's point of view. It's just a matter of life. And wow. whew, poignant, poignant in these, uh, this day and age. And he is what's really interesting. And so neat about David Cronenberg that I like so much is that before all of this, he was studying biochemistry in university and he was just like, I'm going to go into film (laughs) instead. So taking that into his films, I find really interesting, which I think maybe we'll get into more when we talk about the science stuff. But uh, he just is fascinated by life and you know, mutations of the human body, and then that's what we see in his films, especially all this earlier horror work and going into the eighties, even stuff when he has like the fear of technology and what that's doing, existence and, and video drill. But there's still like weirdness with bodies and in, in in those films. I really, really like that. And then even more on point is I read an article recently and I can post it in the show notes, but Gronenberg on coronavirus. Oh, so okay. In this, in this article. I was article, just curious what he'd be thinking about all this. <laughs> He's like, I've done movies. <laughs> yep. In this article, it says, Cronenberg uh, seems oddly impressed by the whole thing, saying the coronavirus is great stuff from a scientific angle because it's an interesting new mutation of a virus. He acknowledges that socially it's scary, but on one level it's just business as usual on planet Earth. He's just like so, not I don't even want to say nonchalant, but like so pragmatic about it. He's just like, I'm interested in viruses and biology and what happens and all that. And like, I can just so relate to that. Yeah. Socially, it's scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Like we are sitting here not knowing what's going to happen. Are we going to get sick or our loved one's going to get sick? Like it's yeah. horrified and we can just sit in our homes and I'm going to say literally don't can't do anything about it because in essence, we cannot. That virus is going to do what the virus is going to do because that's what viruses do. They like, yeah. easily spread. And this is just what's happening. But he almost has like this. He just has like this understanding of what life is and just like, yeah, we live and we die and, you know, shit's going to happen. And that's just business as usual on earth. And mm-hmm. I just I that's almost like comforting to me as uh, in how I kind of view my, you know, myself myself. So not even spiritually, but just like life on earth and our bodily forms and everything. I just find that generally comforting to see, just to, to hear that because it's, it really kind of is.
1: Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that because he has such a pragmatic approach to science and just like you said, the way that viruses work, like it really, when you look at his films, he's like, okay, well, I'm just showing you what a virus does when it's at work. But then mm-hmm. what we see or what we fear from those films is we mistrust our bodies, we don't mm-hmm. trust the relationship within the with our bodies in that virus Mm -hmm. and so it caused obviously aggravated but then you like said we focus on the fear what what the social implements are of that virus and how it changes our world
0: so going back to what jess said talking about the grotesque yes that is
1: very much a word that you could use to
0: describe cronenberg's films and that's almost just like this aesthetic a certain way to to view films and for filmmakers to just show us express themselves in a way. And I feel like Cronenberg does that a lot. And the term grotesque when it comes to to art and filmmaking and everything was coined in 1965. I'll put all this in the show notes. It's a really interesting article. Um, but, but essentially what the grotesque is, is that it disrupts the order of the rules that make our world. You know, we have this disgust over what's gruesome, what's monstrous. Um, but then we also are amazed and horrified and like helpless in, in the face of all of this that that's happening. Our world starts to fall apart and we can't get our bearing essentially the grotesque is not about the fear of death but fear of the living and that's totally what i think cronenberg films are generally about Mm. you know there's worse things than death because in death you're not dealing with all of this you know crazy mutations and the fear and the unknown and everything and i just find that really quite quite fascinating
1: well, in death, you you can escape the complete breakdown of society. You're dead. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter yep. to you what else happens to everyone else. Yep.
0: yep. Agreed. The other thing that I find really fascinating, and um, Jess, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that... So because Cronenberg is an atheist, he, you know, was studying biochemistry. He's just like he's very much of like a science-y, pragmatic, mm-hmm. yeah, straightforward person. You're never gonna see supernatural, no. paranormal elements in his fears. There's no fear of like ghosts and that kind of unknown. It's yep. more of like the bodily unknown, mentally unknown, and stuff like that, which I personally love because paranormal and supernatural stuff is like one of my least favorite genres of horror but you love it so I know I can I know that you do like Cronenberg's films and stuff like that so so what are your
1: thoughts and feelings on on that I think it's really interesting, and I, I came across that information as well in the articles that we read about Cronenberg and how he has no belief in the in supernatural mm-hmm. or supernatural or paranormal things, anything. Like he is one hundred percent like science based, and mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting how he takes these paranormal elements of horror and he adds a biological element to it. Like he mm-hmm. breaks it down. Like, and I know we'll talk about this further on in the podcast, but his whole idea—the biological vampire over the paranormal normal vampire is fascinating mm-hmm. I think that's really mm-hmm. cool so mm-hmm. I don't know what it is that just draws me to his type of horror and mm-hmm. why for someone who's like me who has like a belief in all like the paranormal and stuff like that can mm-hmm. be like watch if watch a film what he's doing be like you know what? I like what he's doing here but I think at the same time too like for me he touches upon thing that something that is like kind of like my own fear is like my own body and my own relationship with my body Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, I think that's a really interesting concept. And I Mm -hmm. think it's really interesting just to add, sometimes to take things into different layers and add the biological element to it.
0: Cool. All right. Uh, And I have more questions about that later on. (laughs) Okay. But let's move into our social science satire.
1: Yeah. So... This is so interesting because one of the things that we see in a lot of early Cronenberg films is that a lot of these things that end up happening is because of science. And it's this, we have scientists who don't necessarily know what disaster will occur when they do their experiments, and some of these scientists are not purposely looking to destroy things, they just see things as Mm an oversight, or they fail to grasp the narrow frame of their research, which is really interesting with this films, but one of the things like, And we'll talk about the whole mad scientist, evil doctor trope, but one of the things I really like that came up in the film Rabid was the social uh, satire of plastic surgery. And I know, Kelly, Mm -hmm. you're going to get into talking about a great article about this, but I have a couple Mm -hmm. points from it that I thought was interesting as well. Plastic surgery like historically was used for soldiers coming back from the war and at Mm -hmm. the time it wasn't when they were getting plastic surgery it was to make them not beautiful it made them look appear human again I guess Mm -hmm. because you're coming back from war and if you you know you lose like your face is burned you know to really kind of bring that sense of normalcy back to their lives despite Mm -hmm. the tragic experience they had but it's interesting how plastic surgery went from just being a necessity to kind of help people in their mental emotional capacity to now being a desire for beauty and this Mm -hmm. is like well I want to look this way I want to look like her I want to be beautiful so we're going to have this very violent procedure to be beautiful, and we normalize it. Mm -hmm. Like, plastic surgery is just a normal thing to talk about, and what I love about the film Rabbit is that it looks at, you know, the whole idea of plastic surgery when it came out, and being like, there's nothing natural or normal about this. And, with the idea of body horror being birthed out of the ideas of our fear and anxiety related around our bodies, we get this idea of surgical horror that comes out, because Mm -hmm. we want our bodies to fit a Preconceived notion of what beauty is. And um, I know there's this film called, from the 1960s, called Eyes Without a Face, and -hmm. it's all about a father who spends his time killing other women to save his daughter's beauty, but not really save her in a Mm -hmm. sense. So he's more focused upon making her beautiful and Mm -hmm. hiring her disfigured face. So I think surgical hurt, like horror, creeps me out. And I know the Soska Mm -hmm. twins that get into that with American Mary, Mm -hmm. because that's just very, you know, once again, disturbing. But like, to me I'm just like Jesus like this is taking back our fears and reflecting it back to ourselves Mm -hmm. so that we can force ourselves to conform and normalize it and it's just so not normal so yeah I want to talk more about this like Plastic surgery and surgical horror with you, Kelly, and then we can and then we can talk about mad scientists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, yeah. That I just fell in love with this article called "Skinned: From Surgical Horror to Body Horror." And again, yeah, it's like body horror, venereal horror, biological horror, surgical horror. Mm-hmm. And hearing that term, surgical horror, it gets me really excited. <laughs> so yeah, way back in the day of early early horror, we were worried about death. We had so much of a fear of death we still do and i uh, before i go forward i really have to mention that body horror as a subgenre was actually coined by a gentleman named philip brophy in his article horality the textuality of the contemporary horror film in 1983 when i was born because he nice. talked about <laughs> when um, kelly was born
1: yeah. body horror was born
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so on point I came out and then there was body horror. (laughs) (laughs) So that was when the actual term body horror was coined. Obviously before that, we do know that it was a thing. So it's like the fear of one's body and how we control it and how we relate to it. And we talked about how, yes, we see this as Cronenberg. He's kind of like the originator of, of body horror, but body horror was term, was a term that uh, was created in 1983. But Body horror or surgical horror, which Cronenberg's film, so much of it is really surgical horror. It is like experimentation through surgery, scientists and doctors through surgery creating these horrors. But we saw it earlier in Frankenstein. That's like the earliest, earliest surgical horror. We're literally taking human parts and putting them surgically together to create life. So (laughs) surgical horror has been around for a long time, which is uh, really neat. And so I really thought that, there's a natural transition from using the term body horror to surgical horror. And there's like a whole other subgenre. And maybe there's there's a bunch of films in it that may may or may not necessarily be horror. There's one I like called The Skin I Live In. And I just find them really, really interesting what we can do with surgery to create oh, like a whole new appearance and, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of change everything like that. And so. Oh, my God. We, oh, <laughs> what? I, I just
1: realized I had surgical horror done this month.
0: Yep. You did I, okay. Before we move on, yeah, tell everybody about your surgical horror.
1: Oh no, I just didn't realize that. I was like, oh, yep. you know, the month of Cronenberg. I'm going in and getting a gum yep. graft done, which is like they take um, they can do it in two different ways. The way opted I went with is I don't want them scraping my gums off and then tape and then like oh. surging them somewhere else. They take uh, gums from a um, corpse, you know, a, do- a donated yes. body, and they surgically you know tie the they put them into your gums and then they heal and then your 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 mouth. Is e- will either reject it or accept the hope mm. the, the host will either reject the new skin or reject it, <laughs> accept it. And yep. uh, I've had two done before. This is my third one, and my skin—I I seem to accept it. So I usually get Frankenstein mouth, yep. and uh, cadaver yeah. mouth, cadaver mouth. And I realized that yeah, when we were doing Cronenberg <laughs> month, I was getting surgery done. I was just like, oh Jesus, this is gonna be like rabbit if I come out and I'm still yep. like biting people. <laughs> Oh, man, we could only dream. Yeah, but surgical horror, there's cadaver skin in my mouth. Yeah,
0: (laughs) so that's such a great segue into what's going to go lead into a question of mine. So, of course, surgical horror, especially in like the more modern era, 80s, 90s now, we're now scared of anesthesia, we're scared of surgery, we're scared of doctors, we're scared of procedures. We're scared of, not me, but a lot of people (laughs) are scared of clinical settings and just all of that. I'm raising my hand, but no one
1: else can see it. I'm
0: terrified. So I feel like it's such a right place for horror to explore all of this. So I love it. Like just getting into the surgical horror of things I'm really interested in. So... Jess and I have a lot of things in common and a lot of things not in common. And this is definitely one of them. So I am a medical professional. I'm a vet tech. I am not scared of needles, not scared of any bodily stuff. I'm fine going to the doctor. I've had so many things done to my body in 37 years of life. Like it doesn't bother me whatsoever. But Jess is different. You are, you know, you're kind of uncomfortable and afraid about like procedures and going to the doctor and all that makes you feel very uncomfortable. So, for me as a medical professional, I love seeing this stuff and I'm really interested in it, but none of it makes me uncomfortable. So, how do you feel personally about surgical horror and why are you so uncomfortable with like medical stuff?
1: I don't, I can't describe why I feel so uncomfortable with medical stuff. It is a fear of mine. I am terrified, like, Okay, like, when, when, when we watched Dead Ringers, like, I watched it, I know you watched it. Mm-hmm. I was so uncomfortable watching that film. Mm. Like, I kept crossing my legs, and I'm like, okay, I know, like, anytime the scenes of the gynecological stuff came up, I was mm-hmm. like, nope, nope, fast forward through this. Oh, my God. Um, just, it, it makes me feel very uncomfortable, and, like, you have no control of someone doing something to your body, so, like, you mm-hmm. can't, like... Do you not have a trust in their, you know,
0: professionalism and their skill set? I don't trust set? anyone. Like, I don't trust okay. anyone. Okay. <laughs> now we're getting deeper. We're getting we're deep getting now. Deep. We're getting deep. You don't I trust just, anyone.
1: Yeah. I am easily grossed out by, like, obviously cutting open skins. Like, yeah, surgery makes me feel uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. you know, I watched my, one of my nieces being born. That was not comfortable. Oh, God. <laughs> terrified me from agility. And then the whole experience I had trying to get a fucking IUD in me was like a horror Mm film of its own, so... Mm -hmm. I just don't trust people doing things to my body without me being able to control it it just it makes me feel very uncomfortable yeah so surgical mm-hmm. horror cutting into skin causing that pain and oh uh, no <laughs> okay move it's on That's great I've, I've <laughs> kind of found
0: we've we have discovered something about you I think this is uh, I don't trust anyone that's not new yeah. <laughs> it's a touchy touchy subject for for me and I'm just like yep yeah, do what you gotta do uh, open nothing. my legs I've had so many people see the inside of my body so it's uh
1: no, I'm very it's... uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> I'm fine with it. I trust medical professionals and maybe it's because I am a medical professional and I am yeah. my, my skills and the people I work with, the veterinarians and everyone I work with have are questioned all the time by non-medical professionals that it annoys me. So it's, um, I don't necessarily fully understand the distrust of, of professionals, but like, I can kind of get it because you're not in control of what's happening. Um, and maybe it comes from not fully understanding what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know.
1: That could be it, too. hmm. But the thing is, like, I never question medical professionals. I'm like, OK, hey, right. like, you obviously know what you're doing because you right. did all the schooling for something like that. I just like I still just don't trust you. It's my body. (laughs) (laughs) My body, my choice. Yeah, pretty much.
0: Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Speaking of The Skin skin I Live In, which is a movie I really like, folks, I recommend it. This uh, really great article called Skin Deep, Surgical Horror, and the Impossibility of Becoming Woman in Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. So he talks about, yes, changing from body horror to surgical horror in our kind of more modernized contemporary setting. And in it, he says... We can trace a change in focus from body horror and its preoccupation with the mutation and alteration of flesh to more contemporary bodily concerns. Here, the body becomes the object under attack by tyrannical individuals, or in some cases, companies or systems of punishment. One of the methods by which the genre has a, has attained its current bodily status is the turn to surgery as a source of anxiety. In fact, surgical horror could be seen as a logical conclusion to the postmodern subjects fear of advances in science, which we'll get into when we get into kind of mad science a little bit, but to touch on plastic surgery, because we more see, the plastic surgery elements in the 2019 rabbit we do and again, we really we'll compare, do yeah. we'll compare contrast a little bit later on but body mod there's i feel like there's a difference between like plastic surgery and true like body modification in certain okay. ways because i feel like plastic surgery they want to conform to a beauty ideal and a beauty standard body yes. modification in the sense like Piercings, tattoos, tongue splitting, like extreme body modification that way is not conforming. They want, they're doing this to, of course, they also want to change their, their appearance and you know and of course everybody's going to perceive them differently but this is more of just like this is how they're going to be comfortable which I guess would be similar to to both plastic surgery and other more extreme forms of body modification but I see plastic surgery as more of a conformity and more extreme body modification as a form of individuality yeah and we conform out of anxiety of being different because a lot of people still want to not be you know they want to be seen as normal they're not like us who are weird spooky women that are fine with (laughs) being being <laughs> abnormal. Yeah. And so I I really do like that. So in horror movies, of course, we see our there's victims of unwanted or non-consensual changes in surgery, generally speaking. So we're kind of like our fears have changed from disease and shifted to like beauty standards and the seeking perfection and stuff like that, which I think is really neat to show how just progressive horror is.
1: It is definitely progressive. And what's really interesting, so we've talked about biology body horror, we talked about surgical horror and plastic surgery, but let's talk about the guys and the women who implement these things, who cause this type of, this stuff to happen. And mm-hmm. with Cronenberg's films, we see a rise of the return of the mad scientist, or the evil doctor trope that we can find in horror.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, this concept uh, of the mad scientist genre, it actually started, uh, especially after World War II, so once again, when plastic surgery came out, it was in the introduction of the atomic bomb. And this is where because we were seeing new techniques were being invented and looking at way to exploit exploit people for their own concepts mm-hmm. so obviously the atomic bomb like we see a lot of evil scientists uh, films around like atomic horror mm-hmm. and things like that but then we also get this idea of the fear of the contagion mm-hmm. so disease that spreads through the body it transforms the body into some kind of zombie or vampire but the biggest thing is that there's this idea that modern medicine may not be able to solve all of the world's problems but may contribute to them. And that's why we get early films by Cronenberg, such as Shivers, Rabbit, and The Brood. All of these films are about Mm -hmm. doctors who are trying to do something good Mm -hmm. to help society or help humans in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Shivers was about creating a parasite that would act as a replacement for a human organ that gets modified to be, become a part STI and part uh, aphrodisiac. Rabid was mm-hmm. a film about uh, surgical skin grafting to be able to help heal the body. And then The Brood was more of a scientific, not sorry, scientific, but oh yeah, a scientific way of using psychiatry to help people deal with their uh, emotions. But many mm-hmm. of Cronenberg's doctors are, all, are fictional doctors and they're always usually pursuing things. They always just mm-hmm. have some kind of a good intention behind them. But what's one of the things is that Cronenberg likes to refer back to is some of the real life Canadian medical abuses that came up. And so the most famous one was uh, a psychiatrist at McGill University. He carried out a numerous mind controlling oh. experiments as a ble- as a way to be able to cure mental illness, like, such as schizophrenia, by erasing memories, rebuilding the mind, mm. using psychotropic drugs and chemically induced comas, listen, having people listen to repetitive messages and even ECT treatments. Many of these people didn't even know they were being tested on. Mm. They were going for treatment, and they never actually fully recovered, suffered severe depression, suicidal and anxiety disorders, and permanent memory loss. And so this is a real thing that was happening in Canada at the time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of Cronenberg's works, he likes to look at what's happening in the kind of like the health industry at the time, and kind of exploit that fear that we're having. And with the evil scientists and the evil doctor trope, many of our victims Mm -hmm. are typically, especially in Cronenberg films, are typically the vulnerable. They're the young, they're the sick, they're the poor, they are pregnant, they yep. have emotional mental disorders. They're women. They they're <laughs> women. Especially in the film Rabid, Rose is a woman and she's also sick and injured. She and ha- she has um, no ability to consent to what yeah. happens to her in yeah, the film. That's true. Which brings up a really interesting idea that also comes in with the whole mad scientist, evil Doctor Trope, which is the term medical rape. Whereas oh. she was she was not able to give consent to what happened to her. So even though the surgery is not sexual in any way, it's still about consent. Mm -hmm. And it's still about the fact that she did not consent to this Mm -hmm. transformation that happens to her, which then makes her physically transforms her into a Mm -hmm. predator. Mm -hmm. And she then subjects her own victims to forced penetration by what we call a penis-shaped organ that extends out of a puckered anus-like opening from under the left armpit. Mm -hmm. Or some might say more of like a vaginal opening. Yes, I even thought that too. because Either way, it's
0: It's an orifice that a phallic (laughs) phallic, uh, extension comes out of.
1: Yeah, and so then Rose ends up taking on the traditional male rapist and sexual predator role, and mm-hmm. and she embraces her victims and penetrates them and transforms them, all yeah. because of a doctor that was just trying to help her, but because yeah. he was he was experimenting still and not sure of the outcome of what was going to happen, it, it end up transforming her. So Cronenberg is known to have the best representation of modern cinematic, the, ma- the mad scientist, or like the evil mm. Dr. Frankenstein, but it's like Kelly was saying earlier, Cronenberg is actually very sympathetic to doctors and scientists and he's very Mm -hmm. fascinated by these things it's just Mm -hmm. unfortunately his films tend to show these doctors in a very negative light
0: yes yeah they do but what i i have and i made mention of this in my notes is that he's just he's also very ambivalent like he doesn't say what the doctors are doing they're not that they're necessarily villains or that they're doing anything wrong it's just like it happened and this is your consequences of it happening yeah exactly yeah so they don't like it is showing the consequences of of the actions of these uh, doctors and scientists as as negative, but the overall tone and the feeling of the movie is not showing them as the villains of the story, per se. Yeah. Which I thought was, was very interesting and shows his maybe understanding and em- not maybe, I don't even know if it's necessarily empathy, but like some, some form of understanding of the need for for science and experimentation. Yeah. And onto the mad, yeah, mad science, mad scientists, especially in this day and age. I think there's Cronenberg's films, and as you know, we're talking rabbit particularly, but people... People are now even more so finding science kind of scary. Yeah, Unregulated science can lead to terrifying developments. There's a lot of concern about, like, genetic modification of people and food, and we don't fully understand the long-term side effects, and that's what we want. Like, yes, we like science, but also there's, you know, an, an issue. And this quote of this horror movie historian, and she was talking about horror as a way of warning people. Don't go here, don't go there, don't oh, trespass. Okay. Which I love because I don't think horror is like a fear mongerer. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not like everyone on Facebook right now and the news and the media right now. But I think it's horror is really smart. And people that don't think horror is smart or has any political agenda or anything is I I just don't see what you're watching because it's right there in front of you. We are scared of science and we are scared of scientists and experiments because we don't we're not really sure. So I feel like horror is so smart. So it's teaching us be mindful, ask critical questions. Yeah. Just ask appropriate questions to the right people yeah. because we should be doing that. Science is amazing. It has saved so many of our lives and has improved our lives not, I don't do, don't even get me started on anti vaxxers, but there is an ethical line to be drawn. Yeah. And as a medical professional and a science based person, I love science, like evidence based medicine and science and all of that. There is a line to be drawn. And I was reading about uh, Stuart Weiss. He's a professor at a Connecticut college who specializes in the psychology of superstition. And so he was talking about that. He thinks that the part of the fear of science comes from people who are not rational thinkers, they're motivated more by like emotion and fear fear and they don't really understand like scientific processes, science overall, they don't really understand it. Maybe it's that fear of unknown. Like I don't really understand. So I'm afraid because you can't make informed decisions, which I can get, but they kind of just base everything on their impulses, their emotions and everything. Like you want to talk about vaccines? There's evidence that vaccines are safe. They have helped us in in so many ways that it's like, let's not even get there. <laughs> there. But they've, like, they've helped us and there's, you know, they've helped us in so many ways. There's no great true harm, and there's benefit in taking them. There's no ambiguity about that in the scientific world, but we have people refusing to believe any of this and accept all the actual evidence that exists out there, but instead are going to cling to this fear and these other ideas. They have this superstition and fear of science because I. this person was saying, and I agree with them, that there's a poor understanding of critical thinking and the role of evidence and logic and in debate. So these, you know, his films are kind of ahead of their time because even still now, people are afraid of science.
1: I think, yeah, I think people are afraid of science and they're afraid of those people who take advantage of those people who are in those vulnerable situations, who are sick and then Mm -hmm. they need a doctor, they need a scientist to help cure Mm -hmm. them or help make them better in some way, shape, or form. And if there's someone who has some unethical ideas Mm -hmm. about what they're doing Mm -hmm. and somehow want to create some kind of superhuman or something of that nature, Mm -hmm. that can be terrifying because you don't know what's going to, you're vulnerable, you're in their hands. To help you completely, and either they help you, they save you, or they damn you, and that's what. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's so interesting how you talked about horror films as kind of like a message for these types of things, right? And with horror mm-hmm. movies, you can be like, you know what? So if we have this idea, what horrible things could happen from this idea? Well, we could do this, we could go this way, we could go that way, we could anything really. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to show you one yeah. possible thing that could happen, and that's kind of what we get in these films like <laughs> *Rabbit*, right? Yep. You know, yep. plastic surgery was a very new thing, and people were throwing money at it to become a new mm-hmm. or a new, or better, improved person of themselves. Yeah. And so we get in both the twenty, nineteen seventy-seven, and the twenty-nineteen film of what this yep. means when you're a vulnerable yep. victim. When you're a vulnerable victim, put in a situation where you can't say yes, you can't say no, you have to trust the scientist. And mm-hmm. I think we'll talk. And I, we keep saying we'll talk about this later because I can't wait to talk about this. There. There's Two different <laughs> doctors. Very different doctors in the 1977 version and the 2019 version. So. so let's talk about how math scientists can turn us into things that we never really expected, like vampires. But before we get to vampirism, we have a special guest spot by our
0: very close friend named Joe Lipsit over at Horror Queers. So Joe is a TV addict with a background in film studies. He co-created TV Film Fest blog, Queer Horror Movies, and has written for Bloody Disgusting, Consequence of Sound, The Spool, That Shelf, Grim Magazine, and Anatomy of a Scream. He also co-hosts Horror Queers, a queer horror podcast with Trace Thurman. So let's sit back and take a break of us talking and hear what Joe has to say about the 1977 versus 2019 versions of Rabbit.
2: Hey, spinsters of horror! Joe from horror Queers here, weighing in on the Rabid vs. Rabid debate. Full confession, I'm a big fan of the OG Cronenberg, though Rabid isn't my favorite of his works. In some ways, Rabid finds Cronenberg reworking through the same ideas as 1975 Shivers. The film is interested in how society falls apart in the face of a pandemic, which is not at all timely. Casting an American porn star as the lead actress also feels like Cronenberg giving the middle finger to the Canadian public. I love the idea of a prestige director like Cronenberg responding to accusations of using public funds to make smutty, lowbrow horror films by making another quote-unquote smutty lowbrow horror film. One of my issues with the original Rabbit is that it's distinctively uninterested in Rose as a character. Burns isn't the strongest performer, but she handles herself well in the high-intensity scenes, particularly those near the end. The script, however, is more concerned with charting the escalation of the supposed rabies outbreak. It's telling that the film's most memorable scenes are Rose's inadvertent suicide and that haunting shot of the garbage man disposing of her body like just another piece of trash. It's a condemnation of the highest order, and it's incredibly provocative. Now on the flip side, I don't think much of the Soska sisters remake, mostly because the narrative feels underdeveloped and the events unfold in unconvincing fashion, particularly the haphazard way that the infection escalates. There's also a surprising lack of rising tension, and scenes feel shoehorned in solely to reference the original film. The best creative decision is making this Rosa story, because Laura Vandervoort is incredibly capable and empathetic as an actress. Unfortunately, she saddled with a lot of crap, particularly the questioning hallucinations that shockingly proved to be real. The fashion industry stuff should be apt, but I find the satire is weak, and it's actually not even clear whether this film is an unintentional comedy or if it's just bad. Sadly for me, it's the homages to Cronenberg's oeuvre, like the luscious red surgery scene that are the best part of the remake. So, in the battle of the Cronenberg versus Cronenberg remake, I'm gonna have to give this one to the OG film and side with my man Cronenberg.
1: Well, that is wonderful, and it was it was so nice of Joe to be able to contribute to this month's podcast with his ideas on uh, the two films, and now, like I said, we're gonna talk into the final theme that we see in these films, and this idea of vampirism. So, earlier in the podcast, we, we were talking about how Cronenberg likes to stay away from the supernatural elements, and he does have no belief in that. Mm. And it's really interesting how in the film films like Rabid, we get a very vampire-esque vampire type character out of Rose. But Mm. like I said earlier, he shows vampirism in a very biological way, and I think Mm. that is really interesting. So we do see Mm -hmm. often with uh, vampire films that there are very strong sexual undertones, and they're always linked to violence of some sort of way, and we see that in vampire films, we see that in Rabid. And Rabid Cronenberg uses vampirism to be able to show a sexual metaphor which allows for Rose to be very indistinct when it comes to her victims, whether they're human or animal mm-hmm. or not and she has no mm. gender preference right and that's the kind of thing like right no. we talked about earlier in our episodes about vampires vampires don't really prefer a gender they don't really mm-hmm. prefer a food source anything will do as long as they can feed as long <laughs> as they can feed that biological need in them that that they have to eat also we see that Rose she's also very unaware of her attacks she doesn't know what's happening it takes her and really especially in the all both films takes her to the very end to realize that she is the cause of these outbreaks. Mm-hmm. And she has a really hard time accepting her new way, but what's really interesting is that while she's unaware of her attacks, she's changed herself as an individual. She is predatory. Mm-hmm. She is sexual. She is mm-hmm. indistinct in her victims when she is when the when the hunger comes, the hunger, she is <sighs> overcome by it and she just goes out and she hunts and that's what a vampire does when they're hungry and they want blood. It doesn't matter what they, how they get it. It doesn't matter where it comes from. They need to get it. They need to feed. And often, vampires use very sexual overtones to be able to seduce their victims, to bring them in closer to them mm-hmm. to get what they need. And so, mm-hmm. Rose is really interesting in both films because she acts like a very traditional reluctant monster. So she's kind of like the werewolf where like she can't believe that she transforms into this into this monster and she's in a lot mm-hmm. of fear and a lot of doubt and a lot of disbelief, but when she transforms when like I said when that hunger strikes, she becomes a smooth predator and she uses her sex mm-hmm. to entrap her victims and then when she totally. bites it transforms her victims into a very zombie-like being or like a ghoul. So like typically vampires, mm-hmm. to be able to really create a new vampire, you need to be able to drain your victim completely of their blood and then share your own blood to that to that mm-hmm. receiver. That is how vampire lore works, people. That's how a vampire is made. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, at some point in time, we saw this thing where, oh, you bite, if a vampire bites you, you're automatically a vampire. Mm-hmm. Actually, in vampire lore, you're actually a ghoul. <laughs> You are actually not a vampire. You're just something that's dying. And you're going to continue to die until, you know. So, But you end up getting some supernatural abilities. But you're really just a ghoul. You're kind of like a zombie. And Mm -hmm. Rose also follows the vampire trope of being tormented. And I think this is what's interesting about this film, Rabbit, is that She's a tormented monster. She doesn't, she can't really accept what she is. She doesn't yeah. know what she is. She has all these vampire, the, all these vampire tropes are happening, and then she's biting people. She's changing them into zombies. And then you get the whole body horror with the, the, in her, like she doesn't have the teeth in her mouth where we have that thing that pokes mm-hmm. out, that orifice. And the, the reason why Rabbit is yep. called Mosquito is because it had that little, the the, the penis mm-hmm. thing has like, a pincer on it, and that's her teeth yep. that goes in and drains yeah, her yeah. victim. Yeah. So.
0: Vampires, yeah, you hit a lot of the great marks of traditionally vampires, you know, they use... Their sexuality, which is very convenient to get victims. Yep. And, you know, she goes in the the original, you know, she goes after the woman in the hot tub. She's like, oh, you're here and you're free? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so they blend fear and that sexual desire together. And you can even see even perhaps a, a sense of maybe like sexual arousal or ecstasy when, especially in the original where she, when she is using her stinger to penetrate these victims, and you very—you don't actually see it, which is really interesting. But but you do see that mixture of pleasure and pain between her victims and for her as yeah. well. I'm sure it's not like the most comfortable thing that <laughs> that's happening to to her body. You know, traditionally vampires would use, you know, that. Like um, kind of mesmerize their victims. There's an allure to them, to their presence, and uh, yeah, there's less of that, because, yeah, yeah, there's less of, like, the supernatural elements, like you were saying, and again, I love a bi- biological vampire. I think biological should just be a use, a term I use <laughs> all the time. The biological vampire, the biological horror. <laughs> but she can use her feminine wiles and her good looks to, to get her victims, and you know, and then she kind of catches them off guard because, you know, her femininity. She couldn't be a monster. She couldn't be be attacking you this couldn't be happening right now but it is yeah. surprise and bringing up the vagina dentata because i feel like it looks more of like a vagina and that stinger coming out which is really interesting kind of mixture of organs yep. that
1: hermaphroditic <laughs> type situation happening yes oh yes that's a good word too
0: yeah for sure it's almost like it's not even gendered it's just like we kind of
1: lose it it's now just about biological need. Like you said, right? Because she's kind of all of a sudden now genderless in the sense that she has this formation on her that has no gender itself. And then where we see her start the film as we believe she's straight because she has a male partner. Yeah. But then when she's yeah. transformed and, like, you know, she takes on those more vampiric, more non gender qualities, mm-hmm. she's now. Yeah. just going after whoever she wants for feeding right and that's that whole biological yeah. need and we know that with vampires they don't really care they have preferences everyone yeah. does but yeah. you know yeah. at the end of the day when you're hungry and you need to feed you feed on whatever is available
0: yeah and there's uh, there's no more need for sex or eating it's all for that yeah that biological need of, of feeding it's just like that primal basic instinct of you need to eat to, to survive and now we suck blood to survive and this is how we're mm-hmm. going Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about her. So now in Rabbit and for Rose, we see that kind of sexual or gender inversion. Whereas often traditionally, you know, think about Dracula. Mm-hmm. Dracula is like the beginning of, of vampires in literature and film, generally speaking. We would have like this male head vampire lead vampire um, who wanted to create... You know, a whole bunch uh, of vampires themselves, but then would use our and you have that such a great, great blog post about this about using the women to get what he yes. wants. So we'd have like these monstrous women, feminine demons, and using masculine devices, which is the penetrative effects of their teeth. And so she's using this as well. So that's interesting because there's no head vampire in this situation. It's just her with her stinger, and she is getting what she needs. She's taking what she wants. She is turned into this, like you said, the predatory woman, the predatory vampire. She's an aggressive woman, and she's kind of getting what she needs and what is now coming naturally to her, but also comes naturally to her to, you know, she can... Real in man, because she she's a beautiful she is, woman yeah. she is really really beautiful so that naturally she can get you know and you see it throughout the movie dude's just coming up to her yeah. coming up to her in the movie theater coming up yeah. to her in the mall like she literally can't do anything without having a dude come up to her yeah she's thinking about it i'm like That's so annoying exhausting. if she didn't have to feed i'm sure she would have been like extra yeah. annoyed she's like well i'm hungry so this <laughs> this will work
1: you'll <laughs> hey, do you've approached yeah, me yeah you've made my you made my job easier <laughs>
0: Yeah, so we have this and there's really great article that I I come back to time and time again, folks. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's called Kiss Me With Those Red Lips, Gender and Inversion in Bram Stoker's Dracula. So speaking about, you know, we having that head vampire, that sexual inversion where the, he normally has the vampire bride doing all the dirty work to kind of transform and get this like crazy monstrous vampire race. But Rose is doing this all over all on her own, subverting those old kind of vampire tropes. She is the queen. So I guess then she's more of like a Carmilla character ah. than a Dracula. Oh, okay, okay. taking vampirism into herself without remorse until we see it at the end but uh yeah she's kind of just she owns it in this movie which i which i like so i like i like the 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 aspect of taking the supernatural
1: element out, out of it but she's still a vampiric type creature which, for sure she's definitely still a vampiric type creature and that's what's really interesting about how we get this idea of vampirism involved in this film just had reconstructive surgery. You can't take your bandages off just yet.
2: Rose! I want you into work on time. I just don't get Rose. She's so weird and sad. Did you ask Brad to bring me here? Can I get you a drink? Who told you? I'm so humiliated. Why would you do this to me? Schadenfreude, the pleasure derived from someone else's misfortune. I want you to keep in mind that this is gonna be a process. Mm -hmm. Not to worry, with the proper diet, you'll be able to live a perfect and normal life. Stem cell manipulation is the key to life. They are already being sold to the most wealthy. Let me look at you! Wow! That's incredible. It's like the accident never even happened. No, it's not like it never happened
0: and vivid nightmares. Why am I dreaming about drinking blood?
2: People who dream about drinking blood often have unfulfilled yearnings. It's tied to the guilt of desire. Where can I take you, Rose? Nowhere. Die. do for you. You're
1: insane and bit me. An outbreak of rabies. Avoid all animals and humans exhibiting violent or erratic behavior. It spreads like an STD. If you do not stop it, it could affect all of mankind.
2: What the fuck? How's your appetite?
0: So now we're going to talk about how Rabid 2019 compares to uh, the 1977 version with how it compares to the three main themes that we we've brought up. So body horror, the science, social satire, mad scientist and vampirism. How do you feel the 2019 version holds up with
1: regards to body horror? I think it's light on the body horror or no actually no sorry because in the 1977 version we don't see anything that happened to Rose so yeah we definitely get that element oh. of body horror in the 19 in the 2019 version because you see the aftermath of Rose's accident you know we see that mm-hmm. yeah I would understand why I would want to get plastic surgery because of the fact that my wall my jaw is wired shut and you can see it it's exposed yeah totally. and then when we see yep. the even the surgery being done like I remember feeling comfortable watching the mm-hmm. 1977 one and they were like shaving some skin <laughs> off her inner thigh and I was like oh no why are they doing that but then on this one it was more like a gelatin thing type being put onto her skin and I was like oh that kind of looks like the gum graft stuff." yeah <laughs> put in my
0: mouth
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh god um but the thing is though is that i found that in the 1977 version it was really interesting seeing when you get when you finally do get to see the thing under rose's armpit like come out and retract Mm -hmm. that was really Mm -hmm. cool and i think that was like kind of creepy whereas i found in the 2019 version where it's like these waving arms or something like thing that comes out like protracts Mm -hmm. from her and i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't really like that because i'm it was more of, like, a tentacle yeah. than, like, a little stinger
0: poker deal Yeah,
1: because I yeah. think there's a point there in the 2019 uh, version of the movie where, like, she's in an alley and, like, the guy... And, like, he's... I guess yep. her mouth opens up and she's, like, tentacle-y or something like that. And I was like, okay... That's not as terrifying... Mm-hmm. Like, it's terrifying in a sense that it's outright and it's in my face type thing. Whereas yeah. in the 1970s yeah. version, yeah. it was more terrifying that she could hug me. Like, Rose could just hug, give me like a nice mm-hmm. hug and all of a sudden, like, I'm stabbed by yep. something in her, right? Yeah. And it looks yeah. gross when it comes Totally. Out. Like... <laughs>
0: Yes. I, I think that the new one definitely, I think it amps up the body bodyboard okay. because Rabbit is very tame. Yeah. And when I went into this, and we kind of talked about this, folks, sorry, like off screen, I guess, off podcast, <laughs> off audio. It's just, I find it very tame and thinking about you know and reading all about body horror and David Cronenberg and he is the originator and blah 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 I was very not impressed with the body horror elements to this movie yeah there's a couple of like there's a gif of that shot too (laughs) but there's like very little that you see with regards to her yeah feeding from from these people and very little of the surgery so there's very little gore there's very little surgical stuff so I liked that uh, so in in the 2019 version we get more more of the gore there's more surgery there's just more to it Um, whereas I feel like Cronenberg was just much more subtle and I just wasn't wasn't ready for the subtle I was expecting bigger no and I can
1: I can understand that too I guess for me like when I did see like the thing come out from Rose in the 2019 version I was like oh that's kind of comical Rose, the other one kind of was like, no, yep. that one makes me more uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah, that was it was more tentacle like and, and, and strange. Um, and I I thought in the in the 2019 version, there was much more extreme transformation oh, and experiences. Yes. So not only with the people yeah. that get affected, but also with Rose. So that uh, I appreciated uh, a lot more. So I thought body horror wise, it did a very, very good job. I really was into that. I really enjoyed that aspect. Mm-hmm. Cool,
1: cool. So then, when it comes to the idea of like the surgery, so like the, uh, surgical elements of the horror and the whole mad scientist and science trope. How do you feel that holds up?
0: Uh, I think that they're both pretty even. I think um, th- again, theres it's more on the surgical biological horror. We talk about stem cells, so it's definitely a modernized version of things, whereas like a skin graft is like old school medicine. That's been around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, how a skin graft per se would cause the stinger to appear <laughs> in a woman's armpit, you know... As a medical professional, and it comes down to surgical medical stuff in in films, like I try to just, you know, suspend my disbelief. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just like, whatever. None of this is like really realistic. This is not how you do surgery. That's not sterile. Like, I'd have to put that (laughs) aside. But um, I thought they did. I think there was a really good job uh, on the updated version uh, talking about this. So the transformation of Rose is obviously much more Uh extreme. Yes. And we see more science mm-hmm. in, the, in the 2019 version. So we have Rose in, ni- in the 1977 where she's already an incredibly beautiful woman. And then she's just killing people running around killing people, whereas in our 2019 version, there's such a, and I love transformations. So I just like, I just personally am really into transformations. Yeah. So she's like our ugly duckling character. She's like mouse. She's mousy. She's got all these freckles and, you know, she's got glasses and she's uninteresting. And then she turns into this like blonde bombshell. And of course they fixed her eyes. So now, cause of all the stem cells that make sense yeah. scientifically and medically that her eyesight would be improved. So she, of course we don't need her glasses anymore. And you know, when women take off their glasses, they're immediately more attractive. I was, was going to say, I'm like, I disagree. <laughs> I think sometimes women wearing glasses is hot. Like, <laughs> I love glasses. I feel like I look very strange without them, and I don't even know how to like work my face and my eyes when yeah. I take my glasses <laughs> off. So, <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing? I think I'm squinting, but I don't need to be squinting because I'm probably wearing contacts, yeah. anyways. But um, looking at uh, the comparing and contrasting of the science and social satire. So in our 2019 version, we are definitely, there's a lot more to go into the aspects of plastic surgery and having surgery overall because her face was deeply affected by her accident and of course that goes into our whole aspect of our sense of identity and our appearance because she's like I'm ugly she even says like I'm ugly and she is not going to be able to work in her industry for sure but like as a human being those that are ugly like they don't do well in life. And it's just, it's kind of the unfortunate aspect of our society. So it kind of goes back into like the plastic mm-hmm. surgery side, whereas in like the 20, sorry, the 1977 version, we don't, she's like not mangled no. whatsoever. There's like barely anything wrong with her. She's a beautiful woman from, beginning Well, she had end. been in a
1: coma for, like, how long, right? And that one, she's been, uh-huh. in, she apparently had been in a coma for so many months, so I guess she would have healed up, but yeah, there was, like, the scene where her first feeding victim, like, he shows her completely naked, I'm just oh, like, wow, God. there's an- oh, were you in God. an accident, really? Yeah. Did that really happen? Whereas, you're right, in the 2019 version, she looks clearly, like, she has been in an accident, half her face is gone, her, her jaw is wired yeah. shut, there's that whole scene where she's trying to feed herself, and oh, then she's got the, yeah. the, the thing on her chest, and you're like, so you know that, okay, yeah. like... So the reason why she takes these drastic measures to go to this like experimental plastic surgeon, you know, makes complete sense why she would do what she did. Completely, completely. So I I
0: thought that they did a great. I think they did a really good job with regards to that aspect of it, and like the
1: surgical plastic surgery kind of element of it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Looking at that, and yeah, you kind of touched on this, but like everyone's kind of skeptical skeptical of this new clinic and this treatment. But Rose is desperate. She's just like, I'm ugly. this is terrible. Mm-hmm. I can't live this way. This is not so. I'm going to go for it. Oh, and it's free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm definitely going to get into this. And then it kind of gets, you know, some elephants of uh classism. I would say in the in the new yeah. one. That's a that's a tangent we don't have to go into. But it's free. But you know, if she had no money, then okay, good luck. And that's just. How but you then look. you
1: bring <laughs> us to a kind of point that I have is that it's free red flag because yes. Salska sisters, their doctor. <laughs> is an evil scientist. Whereas oh, yeah. in the Cronenberg yeah. film, Dr. Keloid, he does what he does because he wants to save her life. She's like, she is not going to make it. She's not going to make it to the hospital. We need to do something. Yeah. I know of this experimental yeah. thing that I've been doing. It it may help her. Yeah. So he does what he can to try and save her life. He's unaware yeah. of the results of it because especially yeah. because like she attacks him and changes him and transforms him and then he dies. So yeah. that all happens. Yeah. So he's more of the unwilling... like he's not really a bad person. Like, he's not a bad guy. He was just trying yeah. to do what you get to save the life. So the... Whereas... Totally, that... That ambivalence
0: of Cronenberg yes. for sure of these scientists. Yes, totally. so whereas in the yep.
1: 2019 version, Doctor Keloid is introduced as the physician that looked after Rose when she came in to the hospital originally, and talks to her about yeah. her uh, disfigurations and stuff like that. And the only other reference made yep. to him is that he refers her to that clinic, and then refers her to the yep. other doctor, which I can't remember his name, but he is the evil. He's the evil scientist. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're like the perfect. Specimen for what I want to do. Excellent. It is free. Oh, we're going to do all these things. Oh, we're going to give you all these medications. Oh, drink this weird thing that you're never going to look at. Just drink it whenever you feel hungry type thing. Yeah. 100% evil intentions. He wants to create, and I think, Kelly, you talk about this, this whole idea of transhumanism. Yep. And creating a godlike creature. Which we see, uh, well, kind of, yeah, she's kind of godlike in a way, but yeah. Well, and she also, we don't see her asking too, too many questions. Nope. And nope. she really
0: should have asked way more before, during, and after. Because it's just like, you drink the shake, you take these vitamins, you take, this might happen, there might be, you know, hallucinations and this and that. And she's just like, okay, okay. Yeah, because the end result was so fantastic. Like, whatever it's is going to happen after this is going to be totally worth it in her mind. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like that point where our Dr. Keloid in 2019 was shout out Stephen mccaddy um <laughs> <laughs> oh maybe a little glib um was uh not the one that did you know the the procedure yeah. to her so
1: good point and we definitely get the homage the homage to dead ringers because mm-hmm. that whole scene of the scientists doing the surgery with the red robes and everything yep. and like yep. setting them up i'm like Straight out of Dead Ringers, and they were kind of, like, mad scientists in their way as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure.
0: (laughs) Um, Ready to move on to the vampirism? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, Well, you mentioned the more tentacle like stinger Uh, which so it was really interesting in the 2019 version is at first it was like little teeth in her mouth and then maybe a little stinger under her tongue yeah i was like okay well that's different that's more vampire like yeah yeah, yeah. because we have teeth in her mouth okay but then as the movie went on it turned into oh you do have a stinger in your armpit as well Yeah, or just that is it now just mutated and now it's in your armpit that's more of like a tentacle yeah and that scene where it's all of a sudden there's like a bunch coming out of her mouth I wasn't sure if that was a
1: hallucination or real so I don't really know what to make of that like do you think it was real I think it was real because there's a scene where she's in the car with the one yeah. guy and she goes to bite him and it's like on his mouth like like not his mouth but like on his neck but like her whole face yeah. almost like opens up and goes on his face oh. on his mouth and um Weird. well it was definitely so, yeah. like the 2019 version definitely also carries on those vampiric elements because the very first yeah. time we see Rose attack her first victim it's very seductive she's like yeah, you yeah. know almost acting like a vampire mistress where she's like I'm not going to say anything I'm just going to walk into the water I'm going to come up to you and I'm gonna kiss you and bite you and yeah. get your blood yeah right and then yeah. that could tar- that carries on right yeah. those whenever she goes yeah. out hunting especially that one great scene as well where she's walking down the street and there's that guy who is cat calling another woman he's ignoring her and uh,
0: he, oh the douche oh, yeah I have a note about him And I was like thank god she killed him he was disgusting. Right? he
1: was totally disgusting but like she knew right away and like the way she's yeah. walking and following him like yep oh yeah the cat's got her prey she's on she's on yeah. the prowl <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) He's like,
0: do you want to ride? She's like, yeah. And (laughs) just like gets into the car and he's like, whatevs. Like, it's so, okay, side note, so fascinating that like a man can just do that and get the woman in the car and it's like totally fine. You don't have to fear for your safety. You should. You should. Yeah. You should because you don't know what we're going to pull out of (laughs) our (laughs) armpits. Oh my God. New anti-rape devices. (laughs) Oh, yes, please. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. So I thought, you know, overall, there was a lot of similarities between yeah. like using sexuality and also a
1: beautiful woman, Yep.
0: you know, gaining our victims. I think generally in the, in the 2019, it was mainly men.
1: Yes. Yes. Because we don't see any female victims in yeah. the 2019. Okay. We only saw, yeah, we only saw two female victims in the 1977 one.
0: Right. So, you know maybe there's something to be said that 2019 was done by women, and then we have this predatory woman walking the streets at night killing men. Yeah. You know, and we have Cronenberg that has our more polymorphic character that's really, it's all about our biological need to feed, and if you're there, you're convenient. I will drink your blood. If you're a cow, that's fine, too. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting that they try to bring that together. Like, in the 2019 version, there's a scene where she's trying to eat the meat, or, like, she's, it's not even the meat, it's like the blood off of it but and she just wants the blood yeah, yeah. and that's uh, obviously uh take back to in the 1977 version where she drinks the blood of the cow and she can't hit oh, she's like
0: right she pukes afterwards she pukes yeah. after
1: right because then you end up finding out yeah. she can't drink animal blood it needs to be human blood needs to be human yep.
0: which is another difference between va- vampires because they yeah they don't like love other animals blood but they could survive off they of could it if they know. had to louie and in interview with the vampire feeds off rats angel yeah don't you say anything yeah he feeds off rats when he gets his new <laughs> soul and everything so like it can be done it's just not as like probably not as uh fulfilling well they even say sustaining. like
1: it's not as sustaining and it also doesn't give them the same power and same abilities yeah which is really neat. What
0: I really enjoy the original is that once she, uh, her little stinger, not only in, like infects them with rabies essentially type um, type virus but there is the it's like a local anesthetic there's like a sense of eu- euphoria and they have that a little bit of amnesia afterwards. it mm-hmm. so it's just like yeah. I don't know what happened that's not in the 2019 they're like they die right away yeah or they be- and then become a zombie type creature or they're in they're indirectly effect infected by like touching stuff and it gets like transferred like a virus which I thought was also really cool so that yeah. was a, an interesting kind of difference between the two
1: no it was definitely a good difference so I I know you got a point here where about what's new from these two films especially what's new from uh, the 2019 version and you talk about transhumanism so give us some some details on that Kelly yeah so
0: a new thing that's introduced in the 2019 version which is very different and also I don't even know if that was it wouldn't have been a thing in the 70s because Mm -hmm. this is like a new technology now so I love that they brought in this new type of this new type of concept this idea and there's apparently a whole movement on this so transhumanism Because I did have to look this up because I didn't know what that was yeah it was like the first time I've ever heard of it so transhumanism is the belief or theory that the human race can evolve beyond its current physical and mental limitations especially by means of science and technology it's a philosophical movement that advocates for the transformation of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies to greatly enhance our human intellect and physiology Mm. yes yes essentially they want to use technology to augment our bodies and our minds and merge with machines and remake ourselves to be a better image of humanity. Almost godlike in a way. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. so this kind of comes into this mad science. It's like, we have the capabilities. Should we do this? There's an ethical line to be drawn. Do we need to do this? Do we do we fight death, a natural occurrence in, in our human lives? I would say, no, let us die, because that is a natural thing that can happen. I get like... Somebody loses a leg. Let's give them another leg. yes that's fair. That's yeah. That's totally fair. But like, and they brought in this really great uh, analogy in this article. I think it was, yeah, it's called like "No Death in an Enhanced Life" is the future transhuman, not like a
1: trans individual, yeah, yeah, but yeah. a, a <laughs> yeah. I get what you mean. Sounded sounded odd, but um, it's like becoming a. Yeah, it's like becoming a hybrid of something. You're becoming, like, half human, half animal, or half human, half robot type thing.
0: Half human, half machine, (laughs) which, like, sounds fun for, like, a sci-fi movie, but not in reality. That's why those are, like, fantasies. But, yeah, there's a drug called ethyl erythropoietin, which actually increases our red blood cell production. So if you have anemia, that's a really wonderful drug for you, but... (laughs) if you're an athlete, you could use that to perform better because it uh, improves your bloodstream's ability to carry oxygen to your tissues and your muscles and everything. So you can be a better athlete. So it's like, should you? But of course it goes even further into it. Yeah. Like, like enhancing our mind and and everything we can do, but is it ethical? So that's kind of what the 2019 version is talking about. There's this mad scientist being like, I'm going to do this without your consent and essentially make you immortal yep um with not your consent and now you just have to feed off blood but like now you are an elevated human being you're better than humans you're like this new creature and
1: isn't it amazing completely interesting and we have all seen horror movies and sci-fi series and stuff like that that have all attempted this and it goes wrong every time because (laughs) in the quoted quotes of the beloved jeff goldblum life finds a way (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're going to mess with things that you shouldn't be messing with. Something's going to happen. Completely. We get a zombie pandemic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because there's so many things that have many, many unknowns. Like, this is what you want to achieve, but what's going to happen afterwards? Five years, ten years, a hundred years? No, you don't know. So maybe you shouldn't.
1: Especially because we see Rose kind of evolving because, like you said, in the beginning, we saw, like, little, little fangs and, like, little pincer and then, like, all of a sudden, like, more tentacles and then the thing is yeah. going from, from under her armpit and we're like, wait, so if she continues to live and her, her yeah. cells keep, continue to change and transform her, what is she going to look like mm-hmm. when all is said and done?
0: Yeah, for sure, man. So transhumanism, that was a new concept introduced in 2019. The other thing that I noticed, and I think it's worth talking about, is the male gaze versus the female gaze. Mm, yes. And what definitely made me think about it is like, yeah, you mentioned the the very first time that Rose in, in the 1977 version gets her first kill. And for no reason at all, yeah. all of her bandages fall down and we see her boobs. Yep. Like this is this is this is not for us. This is like that's not for me. That was not necessary. Also, why are your bandages so loose that like you just flail around a
1: little bit and they fall off? Terrible bandaging skills. Well, you end up also seeing like he takes her, her, she moves her robe and sees her completely naked. You're like, oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just so there's obviously the, the male gaze, which we've talked about many times, prevalent in our Cronenberg film, because that is was not necessary. Well, it's also for anyone to see.
1: enhanced because we all know the history around the fact that Marilyn Chambers was herself a porn star, and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why she was hired onto the film was a she was cheap at the time. Cronenberg was originally looking for Sissy Spacek to play the role right. of Rose, yeah. but she was not, you know, she wasn't available. So they got Marilyn Chambers, and she's known for being a, a porn star, and so there's been a, a lot of stuff written about the fact that uh, a porn star was used in this film. And then, like I said, we get yeah. a lot of scenes of the male gaze yeah. looking on her body, looking at her boobs, looking at her hips or yep. her butt. You know, we, oh, s- yeah. you know, how she's felt up in the porn theater and stuff like that. Yep, yep.
0: Her nipples are hard when she's riding around in the tight white underwear on the floor, and she's sweating. It's just like. So that was, you know, very stark difference for me that I noticed watching both of these films, because you're, you're not going to see that in a Sasquatch twins film. No, that is for sure. So I highly, highly appreciated that. And so the idea of the female gaze is relatively a new term with different definitions and different interpretations of it. But it's essentially showing women as human beings in like that kind of yes. is the the end all be all that they're thinking, feeling human beings uh, and it's not all about the sex and our sexuality all the time. Cause that's like a very small percentage of us as like, and as human beings. That's not what our lives are ruled about. We do all the same things men do. We, you know, have our hobbies and we go to work and we do all these different things and we hang out with friends. So it's just like, it's very limited, you know, the male is, And we know that the male gaze is where the male gaze looks While the female body is looked at... And the gaze can come from the audience, from the male character within the film, or from the camera itself, or the spectators. But the female gaze is pretty much just showing the woman as a human being, not just naked and sexual all the time. And another really stark example of what the male gaze is, and I remember this happening. So the movie Transformers, folks, if you saw it, Megan Fox is quote unquote fixing a car, which she truly is. That was part of that character that's what the character knows. She grew up with mechanics. That was, I watched that movie. That was really neat to see. Except when you're watching the movie, all it is, is her, you know, leaning forward. We're just like the cameras going up and down her whole body. Here's her boobs. Here's her butt. We're like, Ooh, Megan Fox. Yeah. And of course she's wearing a crop top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so that is the male gaze hard at work in the Transformers film. So feel like that's happening in 1977. That is definitely not happening in the 2019 version. And I highly it. That. In
1: the 2019 version, you definitely get that enhanced female gaze that the Sosko's remake is all about addressing some very interesting potent ideas about gender, mm-hmm. power dynamics, and human relationships. Yep. We see the same thing in Cronenberg, but it's not as emphasized. I think with the Cronenberg's film, it's more the emphasis on the whole fall of society, how like yeah. her unknowingness yeah. of what's happening. Because like you see throughout the film that we see less of Rose and we see more what the impact of what is happening with Rose, what's mm-hmm. going on where as in I felt in the 2019 version we didn't see as much of the pandemic. There wasn't as yeah. much of a focus whereas like so yeah. that was interesting we were focusing more on Rose as a character and what was happening to her and how things around her were transforming and she was still kind of amb- ambivalent to what was happening but because the experience is about her as an individual and I remember writing down in my notes when we were t- when I was researching about the female gaze and the male gaze with you mm-hmm. was that Cronenberger also felt his gaze while it definitely does have the male gaze it has a very clinical gaze to it whereas I felt mm-hmm. the Sosko sisters had a very emotional you know mm. you're connecting with Rose right from the get go the fact that mm-hmm. she's an ugly duckling the fact that she you know mm-hmm. she's upset at the fact that her best friend is trying to help her get more out there but yet it makes mm-hmm. her feel like she's mm-hmm. not good enough so you see like you relate to the character mm-hmm. of Rose and also what's really interesting is that you see that relationship with her friend so yeah. in the 1977 version we didn't get that like no. it's more about what her boyfriend is going through like his mm-hmm. experience and how he's all upset and can't find Rose and stuff like that. Less about yeah. Rose's experience, less about Rose yeah. and her relationship with the woman that she goes to stay with at the end. Yeah. You know, whereas in the. F- in this film, in the 2019 version, it was about Rose's relationship with her friend and the and her yeah. like half sister type thing and how that develops and less yeah. about the relationship with the male character too, which was nice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. agreed. Oh, I love that. That was not something I thought about, but I like
0: uh, that clinical gaze. Yeah, oh, biological gaze. Let's just call it. <laughs> that. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, and then yeah, the difference between him, I can totally see that that uh, clinical gaze being the Cronenbergian way a little dash of male gaze happening but with her with uh, 2019 yeah the female gaze but yeah it's a bit more of an emotional gaze and I like that and maybe that is what naturally happens you know if a woman is creating a movie and if you look at MFA done by a woman yeah. and there's not a lot of emotional rape revenge films but that one really really was yeah. so that is a, that's a really great point of uh, an emotional gaze instead of a male gaze love it All right, let's talk about pretty much like our likes, dislikes, homages to the original, but the entertainment value between the 1977 version and the 2019 version. What did you like about the 1977 version?
1: What I liked about the 1977 version is that I do like... The feel of those films. I like films from the nineteen seventies. I feel like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of this really interesting story that's happening, and kind of Mm -hmm. a a look of these like like, because these ideas are still still new and still so fresh, and so they're trying Mm -hmm. to attempt some boundaries and push some things and things are taboo. I liked that. I liked how like Cronenberg likes to use a lot of actors that appear again in a lot of his films. So there was one uh, character who appeared in Rabbit who was also in Shivers. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. I would say I, I, I like the 1977 version. I don't like it. it is long and it does kind of draw on at some points and like I said we see less about Rose we focus more on what's happening to her boyfriend and the doctors surrounding mm-hmm, mm-hmm, him like mm-hmm. that was kind of annoying I didn't really care much for that I wanted to see what more yeah. was going on with Rose and the spreading of this virus I thought it was interesting some of the scenes of the pandemic that happens yeah definitely going yeah. to focus of like you know you're in Montreal it's, they call martial law they mm-hmm. have this whole scene in the in the subway car that was totally fascinating the scene yeah or the scene in like the house where he the one guy returns home and you know right away you know that something's happened and then you end up in the baby's room you're like oh man his wife ate yeah. the baby. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and it, you know, so there's <laughs> yeah. like, some very disturbing elements to that yeah. but I did dislike that there was a huge focus on this male gaze aspect of it that we were being taken mm-hmm. into scenes that I didn't get really care about a lot with the doctors and the police officers and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. in terms of like, but in comparison to the nineteen, the 2019 version, I really mm-hmm. like this element of the Rose and that we got to learn more about her, we get to see more about yeah. her transformation yep. and yep. I liked, it was also a very visually appealing. I mm-hmm. like the Soska sisters have a style that I just love. Like they just really like to bring in some things, these elements. I really love that they did pay a homage to um, Dead Ringers with the whole yeah. red doctor suit. Totally. I, love that I love that scene. I love that scene in Dead fun. Ringers. I love that it, there too. Yeah. Like It very fits much fits her style. Yeah, it's very iconic. Very
0: iconic. Yeah, yeah
1: I love Laura... Vanderwalt? The woman who plays Rose, I love her yep. as an actress. I've seen her in the series mm-hmm. Bitten. I think she's yep. adorable. I think she's great. She's really, like, um, really wonderful actress and a really, you know, feel for her throughout the film. So. Well, of course, I enjoy surgical horror
0: as an overall. Theme, So I really enjoyed that for, for both of them. Um, and especially in the 2019 version, upping the ante on our gore and our special effects. And her face was gross yes. and horrifying. And I love just like the authenticity of, yeah, when she first tries to like drink through a smoothie and try to figure that all out, yeah. and, like put it in her mouth. And I was just like, that's tough, man. Your jaw's like wired shut. It's like a whole mess. And like, that was just so painful to watch. And it was, I I feel like the visceral element of Body horror and surgical horror was way bigger and better in the 2019 version. So I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, talk about Rose, but I I liked her so much in the 2019 version. I thought she was a very likable human being. She was a likable, interesting woman. I loved her transformation. I liked her a lot. I liked the transformation more in the 2019 version because, Mm, like I said, there was pretty much no transformation in the 1977 version. It just, like, it just... She was like, went in and she came out. The score in Cronenberg's is awesome. I really, yeah. really enjoyed the score in that movie. I couldn't tell you anything about the score in the 2019 version. So, very forgettable. The tone. So, what I really liked about the 1977 version is so fucking ominous and bleak that film is. It From the get go, bleak. Yes. Yeah. From beginning to end, that movie is not a feel good story. Yeah. There is no happy ending for anyone especially Rose. So I really liked that about it. Yeah, it does have that 70s feel, which I like. The cinematography is beautiful and wonderful in the 77 version. I'm really into that. Yeah. I like how things just escalate really quickly. Yeah, state of emergency, quarantined, martial law, like shit is out of control. There's this rabies like virus. Yeah, it shows a lot more of the pandemic aspect and what's going on in the world. And like we have Rose kind of just being like, I got to go eat and like fluttering about the city, like running out and then running back home and then running back out and running back home. And I just found like her really not interesting whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, the lighting and the colors in the 2019 version, I thought was beautiful. looked really great. The dream sequences, I liked a lot. The aesthetics yeah, of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Really, really nice looking. Uh, like you said, yeah, very visually appealing. I loved the aspect of the 2019 version where it's tr- showing the transmission, how easily and effectively a virus can spread. Yes. And again, so very relevant to our times right now by how easily that stuff spreads. Just like touching somebody's glass, touching your face. Like, and just, I love those sequences. It just really showed... Just the reality of it. Just
1: the fact that it's so... I will say that. Like, especially because, like, I think I watched, I watched this film, I think, when the first... Pandemic announcement came out for us with COVID oh 19. I was like, oh my yep. God. And then I'm watching this film and I'm just like, I don't <laughs> feel really great now, especially with the scene with the fashion yep. designer holding a fashion show in the middle of a, oh, they call it like, we're yep. having a global health crisis. Why are you doing yep. this? He's like, it's yep. a head cold. It'll get away. And I'm just like, oh my God. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm hearing this oh. right now about
1: COVID 19. <laughs> They're like, it's not a big deal.
0: Whatever. It's just like the flu. Whatever. I'm going to go party now. What? Yeah. And
1: then, of course, uh. all panic. All hell breaks loose. <laughs> oh, totally. Especially love. Like you said, you bring it up that in the 2019 version they show you scenes where you know it's transmuting like they show that scene especially in the um, the back of the modeling where the backstage and they they show the girl who had gotten bit she takes a glass of the champagne she puts it down and then you see and then the Soska sisters like someone goes grabs it and then the camera shoots into that and you're like and then someone else and you're like oh my god they're showing how it just goes goes.
0: (laughs) yeah spreading like wildfire and that's just how absolutely easily it can spread so I really appreciated that
1: yeah do you like how the Soska sisters always get themselves in their films.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a note. Yep. Yeah. Little Salska twins uh, cameo. Love yes, it. please. I'll yep. take that. Doing some coke in the bathroom. Cool. A big thing that I did like uh, about the 2019 version, I do like that she ends up becoming immortal like a real vampire. That like oh, vampire okay. fan in the end like,
1: she's now immortal. Cool okay that was like the one thing I was like not too keen on when it ended mm-hmm. I was like oh okay are yeah. we gonna get a sequel I really hope we don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, like if it just maybe if it just ends and he's like okay I'm gonna keep you trapped and I'm gonna build like more godlike humans from you yeah. okay then that's yeah. new and that's different from the original yeah. whereas I like in the original when Rose finds out that she is the cause of all this and she's yeah. like I'm gonna sacrifice myself like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna die so that it' Ends this. And then, of course, you see that very final scene of just her body out behind the garbage and someone just like, and they just, and then throw it in the garbage compactor. And I was like, oh, that's so bleak. Like from getting beginning to end, this movie is just bleak. Nothing good's going to come from this. (laughs) That
0: is definitely on my likes list. Like I said, yeah, that ending is she just just dies like the rest of humanity. She's like, maybe I'm immune. Nope, you're not. No, you're definitely not immune. You're spreading it, but you can still get it, which I thought was interesting from like a viral uh, perspective but she just dies like the rest of humanity and just thrown in the goddamn trash. Yeah. And it ends. And I was like, yes, you are nothing, just like all of us. Oh, boy. So yes, a bleak ending. Well, I mean, the 2019 is also pretty bleak, but then it's, it's you're immortal and that's kind of neat. You mentioned it. I agree. The 1977 version is very slow pacing. It's very slow moving. And I've noticed that now that I've watched a couple of Cronenberg films that they're very slow and I don't appreciate that whatsoever (laughs) because I... I need things to move quickly, folks. Tell your story more quickly. What is happening? Um, I thought Marilyn Chambers was a terrible actress and I wish she wasn't there she was not great like what kind of emotions is she trying to portray on a date like on a moment-to-moment basis she's beautiful she reminds me of Dee Wallace but without the acting abilities hmm. <laughs> yeah okay yeah don't I did not like her she cannot portray a human emotion she lacks empathy she lacks any kind of remorse and in on this kind of goes back to her character but like Rose the world's falling apart around her and all she can think about is herself and her next meal like it's just like she's in like this total selfish mindset. Mm, Yeah. And whereas I feel like The Rose in 2019 is much more introspective and like aware of her surroundings. Aware of what's happening. Yeah. She's aware of what's happening. She is a well-rounded individual human being. So those are my thoughts and feelings on that. I enjoyed the va- uh, vegetarianism themes in the 2019 yeah, version. Yeah, that's true. That is because true. Because she yep. is a vegetarian. Yep.
1: And her licking the blood was like so horrifying oh, and disgusting to I me. Oh, I know. I was grossed <laughs> out by that too. I was like, especially because like in the beginning of the film she talks about why she's vegetarian she's just like, I don't need anything that's sentient and like, or feels pain. And I'm like, yes, yes, Thank you. And then, yeah, she's licking the blood off the cow. I'm like, oh, gross, gross. So gross.
0: I prefer the ending of the 1977 version over the 2019 because I feel like things just end up fucking falling apart. It gets all really messy at the end of the 2019 version. Yeah. And by the end, you're like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened before my eyes and unraveled in the last ten minutes? Yeah, exactly. I'm not really sure. You have to like sit and be like, what? I probably need to rewatch that ending to really understand what's happening with like his wife and then yeah. now she's a immort- The wife and then like Rose is immortal like a vampire now and now she has to live there and then the doctor and like, what's going
1: on? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there.
0: So I felt like the end was a bit of a a mess and I liked the 1977 version better. On to our final verdict. This is where we say which one we like better.
1: Go. Oh, gosh. Uh, If I were to say it right off the bat, 2019 version. I like it better.
0: Ooh, scandalous. I know, right?
1: I know. Scandalous. I I love Cronenberg. I love films from the 1970s. But (laughs) with everything that happened in the 2019 version, I related to it more. I thought it was a more interesting story. Yes, the ending, as I agree with Kelly, is a bit of a mess. And you know, not as bleak as the original, I still liked it as a film overall. I was, I was thoroughly entertained throughout watching it. All right. Well, folks,
0: it's going to be a controversial evening because I also prefer the 2019 version of Rabbit. Okay. Uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, Yeah. No? Yeah, that's fair. Um, So as like a movie watching experience, yeah, I found 2019 to be more fun, more entertaining to watch. Though I do prefer the bleakness and the beauty of the 1977 version, if I was going to revisit one of them, it 100% would be the 2019 version. I agree. If I was going to sit yeah. down and watch a movie, yep, I would find. I think it was a great updated version of Cronenberg's classic with a great nod and homage to his overall filmography of work. And I felt like it really was very much a Sasuke Twins film, and I thought that was fantastic.
1: And that's what I like. And I like the sense, like, I'm not a huge fan of remakes and reboots of films that have been done already, ideas. I'm always like, I want to see something new. I want to see something creative. But I do like when directors take a film and they make a remake that is respecting the original work, but also doing something different. And mm-hmm. I love that the Soskotin sisters did that. I like the 2019 version. I think it's a very enjoyable film. They did something different. They gave us a different perspective especially a perspective that's very relatable for women of our day and age. Agreed.
0: Sorry, Joe.
2: Or do the dreams control you?
0: Sometimes I am in control
1: of them. Sometimes it just seems like I'm
2: watching myself. Like, I'm me. But I'm,
0: I'm somebody else.
2: These nightmares Hallucinations. It's making me feel like I'm becoming a monster
0: okay
1: and now we're going to move into Spencer's final thoughts so my final thoughts this has been an interesting month because it's not just been a month it's been a month about Cronenberg but for me it's also been a month about Canadian horror and I've you know been doing the research and learning more about Cronenberg and his filmography and watching his films and they've been so interesting and I think the concept of body horror is interesting It makes me feel very uncomfortable and that's maybe why I'm drawn to it because I am looking for films to scare me now like I feel like I've watched so many different types of horror films over the last couple years and some extreme stuff and I don't seem to get scared anymore but body horror makes me feel uncomfortable it does innate a fear in me that makes me just like squirm in my seat when I'm like oh I can't watch that scene And I and I want that, and so I really enjoy the themes and the elements that are played out in Cronenberg films. But I also just enjoy some of the themes and elements I'm seeing in Canadian horror, and it's something I'm actually starting to really enjoy. And the Soska sisters are a part of that; they are part of that pantheon of directors in our Canadian um, industry f- for film. And I can't wait to see more of what these two uh, these two uh, women end up doing with their careers and the different films they bring out. So I enjoyed the film Rabbit. I enjoyed the films both; I enjoyed both of them. I do like the 2019. version more because we get some really interesting elements that we can relate to in our day and age. And when Kelly and I chose this scene six months ago, we did not expect to happen in the world to happen. <sighs> <And> Great timing. <laughs> yeah, we we did not. Ex- you know, we just chose Cronenberg. We just chose the film Rabbit. We decided, hey, let's try this uh, remake versus the original. This is a new concept for us to do in the podcast. And I really enjoyed that we did this. But yeah, it is addressing a pandemic. It is addressing something that we're all experiencing right now and we all have this fear of. And, you know, but at the same time too, though, I think that's what Kelly was saying earlier in the podcast, that horror shows us the truth of things it shows us a reality of things that can happen and yes right now we're not seeing any zombies or anyone biting people at, but who's to say what the next pandemic will bring us we don't know for me my final thoughts i'm not one of those horror
0: fans that gets that hates remakes or gets upset if a new remake comes out does the idea of a remake annoy me sometimes definitely do i refuse to watch them no not really but I do go into them like any other film without expectations and just try to enjoy them for what they are. And they're a horror film and I love horror. I watch pretty much all remakes. I'm, I'm intrigued by what they have to offer, but sometimes have a hard time accepting the odd remake like Martyrs and Black Christmas. I probably will never watch any of those. And that's just my hard line. I have to cross. Definitely Martyrs. Definitely with Martyrs. Uh, So sadly, remakes can, they're definitely a contentious issue with horror fans. And I think for reasons I might understand. Um, Enjoying a remake, though, folks, does not take away the value of the original. It's just more content for us to enjoy. So enjoy it. Cronenberg. I feel like that man and I are twins. And I love body horror, I love surgical horror, I love this idea of biological horror, especially the surgical horror, and looking into the research and the different films that would fall along lines of that, and I love all of these films, and I'm really, really intrigued by it. And you might read some, you know, surgical horror related stuff over on Taboo Terrors in the near future, so stay tuned for that. I very much enjoyed this brand new foray into original versus remake. This was an idea that I've had for many, many months and I'm really glad that it happened now. I'm not happy that we talked about pandemic and viral infections at the time of an actual pandemic but, you know, the spinsters are all about timing and that was pretty amazing and I'm really looking forward to our next original versus remake. I have a list, but if you have any recommendations, and please hit us up.
1: And that ends our first episode on Originals versus Remakes. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music Ropes, and Brandon for his work on our promotional materials. We also want to thank Morbidly Beautiful for their support of our show and their amazing community. And we want to remind you to follow us on our website at spinstersofhorror.com, Facebook at Spinsters of Horror, as well as our Facebook group, the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We are on Twitter at
0: Horror Spinsters. We're on Instagram at Spinsters of horror As well, please rate and review us on Saturday. Cloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and any podcasting app you listen to us on. We have merch. Don't forget. Please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop on our website. We also have a donation button on the main page if you'd like to contribute. Next month is a celebration of spooky women. Woo! Woo! We'll be discussing the 1988 film Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and All Things Elvira, our horror goddess. Until then, remember, the future of
1: fear is female.